I don't know if you've ever heard that old song, that old American standard, L-O-V-E, made famous by that wonderful singer, Nat King Cole. The lyrics start something like, L is for the way you look at me, O is for the only one I see, and it goes on from there. Anyone ever heard this song before? Anyone heard of Nat King Cole before? Yeah. He's, you know, kind of unforgettable. But if you don't know Nat King Cole, and if you've never heard that song, no worries. Just fill in your own favorite romantic song. Perhaps something like, Can't Help Falling in Love. Who's that? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, That's pretty good. Thank you. Yes, I'll keep working. That's all I can do. I can't do the leg thing, so I'll have to work on that. All you need is love. All you need is love. The Beatles. The Beatles. And someone like you? Adele. Adele. You can find their faces on the front of today's bulletin. But even if you don't know any of those artists or any of those songs, I'm sure there's some romantic song that you used to listen to or hear on the radio or play, and it will communicate the same point. So if you were to listen to most of the romantic songs in our culture, and then you were to think about that compared to the Christian faith, you get something like this. The radio teaches us, for the most part, that love is a feeling. Whereas the gospel teaches us, for the most part, that love is an action. Radio teaches us that love is a feeling. The gospel teaches us that love is an action. In today's epistle, which is from Hebrews, the letter of the Hebrews is very early on in the New Testament, not long after the life and teachings and the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's very early. It reflects the early Christian movement very well. And I don't know if you were listening to the lesson, but these particular verses sort of pack a punch. They are very specific and concrete. There's not a lot of abstractions here that we can just ignore. Uh, there's not a lot of high theory and high theology that we can just endlessly debate. If you're open-minded, if you're open-hearted at all, even just a little bit, these verses should mess you up a bit. These verses should challenge you. These verses should urge you forward in your faith. And so, they're on page three, and I dare you to listen and read to them carefully a second time, or perhaps the first time. Page three in the bulletin, from Hebrews. Now, this first part shouldn't be shocking. It says, let mutual love continue. We've all heard that Christianity has something to do with love. Great. But let mutual love, there's a mutuality. When Christians are talking about love, we're saying there's something that's a back and forth, a relational aspect. Great. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. One of the things that the early Christians were known for, that outsiders regularly commented about, was how hospitable Christians were. They would take people into their homes, people they didn't even know, and they would treat people who they were taking into their homes or assisting in some way 
with his deep graciousness. Why? Because it's obviously part of love, but also the sense this could be an angel in disguise. And later on in the scriptures, it talks about treating the guest as you would treat Christ. And so throughout the centuries, Christians at their best were known for being people of radical hospitality. Are you? Am I? And this, is just, this isn't just Midwestern nice. This is going out of your way on behalf of the other. Does that characterize us, our families, the people in your neighborhood, how they think about you? Does this characterize our church when people come in and are our guests? Are we people of radical hospitality? Going on. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Ah, prison. How often do you and I even think about people in prison, much less try to relate to them or sympathize with them? Did you know that the history of prison reform over the centuries, so much of it has been guided by Christians? Improved sanitation, improved conditions, basic food and care, and on and on and on, uh, from the 18th, 19th, you just keep going, over the centuries from the earliest Christians till today, has been driven by people of faith, people who follow Jesus and saying we are to be concerned about those who are in prison, those who are there deservingly. They still deserve mercy. They have to deal with what they had to deal with. And those who are there who perhaps don't deserve. Are we even thinking about people in prison? Much less visiting them. And there's huge needs for visiting volunteers and all of that. And then the second part of that, those who are being tortured. Are there people being tortured in the world at this moment? Yes or no? Yes, there are many people being tortured by unjust regimes, for other reasons. And actually, there are a large number of Christians in the world that are being tortured as we speak, largely because they are Christian. And so are we concerned about them? Are we sympathizing with them? This is part of the mutual love, the specific concrete love that, again, the early Christians were known for. Continuing, let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. We can get into that second part sometime, 21st century sexual ethics, what does that all mean? We, we can get into that, but I want to emphasize the first part. Again, one of the things that early Christians were known for is that they were very faithful to their spouses, that they did not share their beds. I have something that may astound you. Have any of you noticed that our culture is very over, overly sexualized? Anyone notice that? Right, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Kid, I mean, it's, it's just everywhere people are being exposed to it every age, earlier and earlier and earlier, and in unhealthy ways. Again, sex is a gift from God. It's a good and beautiful thing, but there are dangers associated with it. But this is only something that exists now in the 21st century, right? They did not deal with this in first century, the time of Jesus, right? Very prudish culture. There was no, no sexual, you know, behavior that was out of it. No, the Greco-Roman Empire was known for sexual excesses, and so the Christians were remarkable and held by honor by people who said these folks don't share their bed. They're committed to their marriages as a part of their faith. And so, a couple of things follows from that. One, do you see your marriage as part of a sign of your faith if you're married? If you're not married. Are you praying for the people, your friends, and their marriages? Are you trying to encourage their marriages, be a supporter of their marriages? 
And because we're about love, for those who've had a broken marriage or are going through divorce, are we merciful? Are we compassionate? Not judgmental, because we worship the God of mercy. Are we honoring marriage? Are we honoring faithfulness? Again, a specific and concrete what early Christians were known for. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, I don't know what to do about this one because our entire culture, there are people scheming right now against each of us. And they have the record of our spending habits and preferences. That's why you get those ads on social media and stuff, you know. They are conniving at the highest levels to communicate to us, you need this. You need this. You are not satisfied. You should not be satisfied. And now that you've gotten the newest version of this, you need the next version of it, and the next version of it, and the next version of it. So the entire society is designed to tell you and I, do not be satisfied or content with what you have. You need more. Anyone notice this? (laughs) All over the place. And by the way, the love of money, people who have a lot of money and people who have very little money can be caught up in an unhealthy love of it. And so this, again, is a big challenge, being content with what we have. This is a mark of the Christian. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we who are leaders in the Christian community, whether we're priests or vestry members or whoever, are imperfect. We are sinners too. We mess up. We fail. You see me do that on a regular basis. But one of the marks of the Christian community is remembering your leaders in prayer and supporting them and encouraging them and being concerned about their welfare because we are here to serve the Christian community and to serve you. And also, when we imperfectly follow Jesus, do you take that as an example from the leaders that you know? And you try to imitate our faith as we strive to imitate Jesus with you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the anchor. So no matter what horrible thing that is happening to you, no matter what's happening in the world, when things are great, when things are stressful, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the anchor. That source of love, that source of compassion, that companion and the worst day of your life, your companion on the best day of your life. That's what we hold to. That's what the early Christians held to as they were thrown to their deaths in the arena, as they were persecuted for their faith, as they went on these great heroic journeys to spread the faith. They held on to that truth, and so should you and I. Yes, a couple more, and we'll be done with the lesson. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. A sacrifice of praise. That should sound familiar to some of you comes up in the Eucharistic prayer. The Eucharist, communion, is a sacrifice of praise. And so part of being a Christian is being a person who offers praise to God. The Greek word for Eucharist is Eucharista, and that means Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So by definition then, particularly those of us who gather every week at the table, to be a Christian should be a person who is a person of gratitude, of thanksgiving. Would the people who know you well describe you as a person of thanksgiving? They say, oh yeah, absolutely, she is a person of gratitude. Absolutely, he is a person of thanksgiving. Really, you know, locks on to that gratitude in his or her life. Would they say that about me? Or would the people in our lives say something else? I don't, I don't see that. 
I don't see gratitude. I don't see thanksgiving. Every week we practice giving thanks to God together so that we could live each day of our lives giving thanks to God. And this builds on that, the final verse. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, love in the Christian sense is not wishy-washy. Sometimes people hear all this talk about love and faith and spirituality, and they're thinking, oh, it's butterflies and unicorns. Eh. I mean, nothing against butterflies and unicorns. But, uh, Mike and I saw a unicorn the other day. It was out there. Again. It was <laughs> but it's not wishy-washy. It is specific and it is concrete. It is challenging. I fail to demonstrate this specific and concrete love that we see in Hebrews on a regular basis. I do. But that's why Christianity is all about grace. It's all about forgiveness. We confess. We say we're sorry. We get up and we try again. And we encourage one another. That's what it means to be part of a spiritual family. We encourage one another. Let mutual love continue. So this distinctive, specific, concrete way of love should be distinctive of your life and mine. How, by how you live and by how you refuse to live. You say, I will not live that way. I will not let that be characteristic of who I am as a person. I'm not going to do that. That should be distinctive of us as Christians. And it should be distinctive of us as a congregation. By how we worship and how we refuse to worship. By how we treat one another and how we refuse to treat one another. Whether we're in a Bible study or a vestry meeting or in the hallway talking to one another. Let that mutual love show in us with God's help. So, the radio teaches us, for the most part, that love is a feeling. And feelings have their place, and we should nurture them. But feelings can change. And so the deeper foundations of our love, whether it's in our friendships, in our marriage, in our church family, have to be based on something else. We need God's help for that. And so, yes, the radio, wonderful love songs of feeling. And that's what we learn from the radio. But the gospel teaches us that love is basically an action. So together, with God's help, let's do love. Amen.